0: There was a drunk who stumbled across a baptismal service on a Sunday afternoon down by the river. He proceeded to walk down into the water and stood next to the preacher. The minister turned and noticed the old drunk and said, Mister, are you ready to find Jesus? The drunk looked back and said, Yes, preacher, I sure am. The minister then dunked the fellow under the water and pulled him right back up. Have you found Jesus? The preacher asked. No, I didn't, said the drunk. The preacher then dunked him under quite a bit longer, brought him up and said, "'Now, brother, have you found Jesus?' "'No, I did not, preacher.' The preacher in disgust held the man under for at least 30 seconds, brought him up out of the water and said in a harsh tone, "Harsh tone, "'Friend, are you sure you haven't found Jesus yet?' The old drunk wiped his eyes and said to the preacher, "'Are you sure this is where he fell in?' May not have quite got what baptism is about, but we are starting a new series called The Jesus Mission, in which we're going to look at the mission of Jesus and how we can be a part of it. And we're going to be looking at several different passages in the, in the New Testament that just speak of Jesus's mission. And in today's passage, we're going to look at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, how it all began, and it began with Baptism. So let's take a look in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read that and just talk talk a little bit about what Jesus' ministry looked like. Up to this time, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' life. We know that the Bible says that he started his ministry when he was 30 years of age, we know that he was a carpenter's son and that generally people followed in the steps of their father and took up their trade. So he was, he was a carpenter. And we know, that, uh, he, we know, of course, the details around his birth, but we don't know a whole lot about the life in between. But the Bible picks it up here when he's 30 years old. And let's see what it says in Matthew 3, 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, And burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So, right before Jesus started his ministry, we know that John the Baptist was preaching to people who came to him in the Jordan wilderness. And his message had two aspects. The first was repentance. So, that word repentance in the original Greek language meant a reversal. Or a change of the mind. So repentance is the turning of the whole person from sin to follow God. And that was a big part of John's message. He was telling people repent. You need to turn from your wicked ways. From your your, your ways where you're not following what God has laid out for us. And you need to turn and follow, follow God and do what he's saying. Repent of your sin. The other aspect of his message was the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It's called by both things in the New Testament, but they're, they're the, the same, they're synonymous. And we need to think of the kingdom of God in this way. The kingdom of God is and is not yet. What we mean by that is that it has both a present aspect and a future aspect. So God's reign on earth began to be established when Jesus, the Messiah, came to earth and fulfilled his mission to save mankind from his sins, but we know that at, at time he didn't set up an earthly kingdom. Right, the the earth went went on as far politically as far as it had had gone before the time of uh, Jesus when when he came. So that political reality was still in place, but the kingdom of God, the spiritual reality was happening in people's hearts. People were turning their lives to God. People were becoming Christ followers and the kingdom of of heaven was being established here on earth. But we know also that there is a future aspect of the kingdom of God, and that will be realized when Jesus comes back. The Bible says Jesus will come back to earth, and at that time, he will set up his rule and reign in the physical sense. It will be an actual kingdom here on earth. When that happens... God's kingdom will not just be a spiritual reality, but a physical reality, with Jesus himself ruling that earthly kingdom. So that's why we say the kingdom of God is, and is not yet. It exists in our hearts, it exists in our lives as those who follow Jesus, but we know there's that future aspect when it will be fully established here on earth. Matthew also goes on to talk about John the Baptist as fulfilling Isaiah 43. 40, verse 3, he says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Matthew was very concerned with the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, and he saw those things as being fulfilled in Jesus and also here in John the Baptist. And so that's why he brings up this message to show that John was the one that Isaiah had talked about who would come and prepare the way for the Lord. So John was to be the herald to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, to make the way straight for him. And in calling people to repent, John was paving the way for Jesus's ministry. So we also see something kind of unusual about John the Baptist that uh, he weared cl- He wore clothes of camel hair, made of camel hair, which was not normal for that time. I know for us, we sometimes think, well, is that any different than what everybody else wore? Yes, it was. That was not the usual thing. That was more what people who lived out in the desert might live, who were poor, like the Bedouins. So that was kind of unusual. Um, But he also, it says, ate locusts and wild honey. Has anybody ever been to... uh, the Mariners, Seattle Mariners Stadium, stadium and tried the grasshoppers, the fried grasshoppers there? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. I know it doesn't sound real appealing, does it? But they're supposed to be tasty, and uh, they're actually packed with nutrition, I've read as well. So that was they were readily available there in the desert, so that was one of the main staples of John's diet, was eating grasshoppers and wild honey that he found out in the wilderness. So those those aspects of his diet sh- and his clothes showed, showed that um, he was living a modest lifestyle, and it was in alignment with his call for the people to repent, um, and John was he must have been a very charismatic person because people were coming to him all over Judea. People were coming to confess their sins and to be baptized. And John was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Now, we know that that, that word for baptized in the Greek, that word is, is baptizo. And it actually meant to immerse. So, in other words, to fully be immersed in water. So John was baptizing, dipping people in water, as a sign of their repentance from sin. We know that Jews had various ceremonial washing rituals, and we know that Gentiles who converted to Judaism were often baptized as an initiation to Judaism. But this one-time-only call by John for Jews to be baptized, that was unprecedented. That wasn't something that was normal before this time. So so basically, John was, John was saying to the Jews, you know what? I know you think that just because you're the children of Abraham, because, because you're the descendants of Abraham, that that's good enough to put you in the right, right relationship with God, that that makes you think you're his chosen people and so that you can do no wrong. But he's saying... That's not enough. He's saying, God, God, if he wanted to, from these stones that are sent, sitting up here, he could, he could turn those into children of Abraham if he wants to. It's nothing is what he's saying. He said, what you need to do is to repent of your, of your ways because you are not following what God has, has told us to follow. There was a lot of apostasy going on in, in Israel at that time, people who were not really following, fully following the ways of the Lord. And he tells them they need to repent and they need to, need to follow, follow what God was showing them to do, particularly in the Old Testament, because the New Testament didn't exist yet. So John, John made it clear, ancestry is not enough. You maybe have heard the phrase, God has no grandchildren. Think about that, God has no grandchildren. Why? Because he only has children. You're either his child or you're not. You don't get there on somebody else's coattails. You don't get there because mommy and daddy were a Christian. You only get there on your own. And John made it clear that the ancestry of the people of Israel didn't really mean anything. Well, we see that Pharisees and Sadducees started showing up on the scene. Now, the Pharisees were uh, religious leaders. that They were very devout. They, they followed the law to the T. And they were very concerned with the scripture and following everything that was in there. The Sadducees were more like the religious elite. They were... They were usually very wealthy, had high positions, and they believed a little bit differently than the Pharisees. They only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't believe in the rest of it. They didn't believe in the resurrection like the Pharisees did, so they didn't believe that there was going to be a day when they were going to be raised. So, But both of these groups of religious leaders were coming out, and this really got John agitated, right? Because... He, he saw through their religious veneer, their appearance of being righteous on the outside to what was really going on in their heart. And he didn't see signs of repentance. So he called them out. He referred to them as a brood or literally the offspring of vipers. Now we know snakes weren't really highly viewed uh, in, in Israel at that time. And they're not really generally highly viewed in our culture either. But vipers were even lower on the totem pole because they believed that vipers literally ate their way out of their mother. Um, So killing their mother in the process, obviously. So John, in comparing the Pharisees to the offspring of vipers, he was basically giving them one of the biggest insults he could because one of the highest crimes at that time was killing your own father and mother. So So John is not pulling any punches here. He is like going after the Pharisees, calling them a brood of vipers and saying that they need to repent. His comments were a great insult. And uh, he was basically saying, don't depend on your heritage. Don't Don't depend on your supposed outward acts of righteousness. It's about the heart. Have you repented? And are you really following God with your heart? So one of the strong themes we see in Matthew was that the kingdom of God was bringing new people into the fold and excluding others who thought that they were secure. So in John, John the Baptist was making that point with the Pharisees and Sadducees. He told them their lives needed to produce fruit or actions that showed that they had repented. He told them that judgment was coming to those who did not repent. That's what he meant by the axes laid to the root of the trees and they'll be cut down. So he was speaking to future, he's speaking of future judgment. And we know, unfortunately, that the majority of the Pharisees and Sadducees did not repent. And they, become, they became some of Jesus' fiercest opponents. So, unfortunately, while many of the poor and even tax collectors were, were listening to John's message and turning and repenting and being baptized, the Pharisees and Sadducees, we were mostly looking on saying, hmm, I'm not sure about this, I don't know about this guy, what are we gonna do about him? So they were not believing in John's message. John went on in verses 11 to 12 to proclaim that while he baptized with water, reflecting repentance, one was coming who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now we know by looking later in the passage who he was referring to, right? He was referring to Jesus the coming Messiah who would usher in the kingdom of God and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And in talking about the baptism, the, the, the spirit baptism, he may have been talking about the entire sphere of the Holy Spirit's work in believers' lives, but we know that ultimately that received its fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. And we, we see in the book of Acts that when people were baptized in the Holy Spirit— that they spoke in other tongues or, or other languages. And that, that was part, at least part of what he was referring to by this, this baptism in the, Holy, in the Holy Spirit and fire that Jesus would be bringing or the Messiah would be bringing. So John also emphasized the judgment aspect of the Messiah's kingdom. He, he talks about how how the, uh, threshing, the threshing fork has already been, or the winnowing fork has already been, uh, laid into the wheat. So what, what, what they, I know because we're not a farming culture, this doesn't always like compute to us what they did, but basically when they brought in the wheat harvest, you know, they would pile it on the threshing floor. It was a floor where they had laid out to do this and they would take these, these forks and they would throw the wheat up into the air and there was, there was a little wind or breeze would be blowing and it would separate the bad part of the wheat, the chaff, from, from the good part of the wheat. So the chaff is very light and thin, and it, w- it would blow away in the wind, whereas the wheat would then, you know, be piled onto the floor, the usable part of the wheat. So John was using this as a picture of God's judgment. He was saying that God is in the process and will be judging people, and that You are either going to be the chaff that gets blown away and burned up in the fire, or you are going to be the wheat, the good part that remains. So so John was very concerned with with repentance. He was very concerned with the ultimate destination of people. Were they going to be the wheat or the chaff? Were they going to follow God or not follow God? Were they going to, to be judged or not? So that was John's message. Now, we, it's it's clear from this passage that baptism and repentance are connected, right? So, what is the connection between baptism and repentance? The first thing we need to know is that repentance is required for baptism. Without repentance, baptism is a meaningless exercise. It's not just a thing, oh, we do this because you know everybody else is doing it or because the the church expects us to or if if we're doing it for any of those reasons, baptism is is a meaningless exercise. It doesn't mean anything. Even later in the book of Acts in, in Acts 238, Peter after the, after the day of Pentecost, when all these people were, were, he preached to all these people, and it says all these people were saying, what, what must we do to be saved? Peter said, repent and be baptized. So he was carrying forth this message that, that John was proclaiming, and then we know that Jesus proclaimed in his ministry. He also w- was regularly calling people to repentance. And so we know that repentance and baptism are, are, are connected, and... We know that repentance is required for someone to be baptized, for it to be truly meaningful. But the other question is, which comes first? Sometimes people get confused on this issue, thinking that baptism is what actually saves them, or baptism is what makes them a Christian. But this passage makes it clear that repentance comes before baptism. John was saying, repent and be baptized. He was saying, your repentance is what needs to happen first. Your baptism, then, is a public confession or a public way of showing people that you have already repented. It's a way of saying to people, I'm turning away from that living that sinful life, and I've chosen to follow Jesus. And I'm going public with my faith. So a good way of saying this is actually our big idea in today's message. And here's that big idea. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward work. It's an outward expression of an inward work. So the inward work is the new life that Jesus gave us when we repented and put our faith in him. Baptism is the public outward sign of what Jesus has already done in our lives. So that's really something important, and it's important if if you have kids, when you're talking with them about baptism, that they understand baptism itself doesn't doesn't save you that's not what makes you right in God's sight baptism is a way of telling everybody in the church of standing before the church and saying I have already given my life to Jesus I've asked him to forgive me my sins I'm turning away from those sins I want to follow him for the rest of my life and I'm standing in front of the church and being baptized so everybody will know about it so that's a really important thing to know about baptism and repentance We're going to take a look um, at the last part of this passage now, where Jesus comes into the picture. So in Matthew 3, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So we know that, that Jesus lived in Galilee at this time, which was north of Judea, where John was baptized probably about 20, 25 miles. So Jesus makes the trek down to where John was baptizing because he wants to be baptized as the beginning of his ministry. So we're going to show a video clip here that shows, just gives you an idea of what it may have looked like. One to come, greater than me, who will baptize with fire. I am just a voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. Don't stop. I need you to baptize me. John, what you are doing is right. So, I love, don't you love trying to picture what things were like there? And I love sometimes seeing, even though Hollywood rarely gets it right with the words and the things that they're saying, I do love to see just a picture of what it may have looked like, and it's just awesome to think of Jesus coming, and they... We didn't, we don't see in that video clip what happened next though, which was, must have really been amazing as the Holy Spirit coming like a dove resting on him in this audible voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love, I'm well pleased with him. So the question though, sometimes that, that we wonder about is why did Jesus get baptized? What, what, what was he, what was he doing there? Why, why did he need to do this? Well, we're going to talk about it in just a second because, first of all, we see that when he came, John said, hey, I, you need to baptize me. I, I don't need to baptize you. If anything, you need to baptize me. He was recognizing that that Jesus was his superior. Even though all these people were coming to John and he was seen as this religious figure in Israel and people were wondering if he was the Messiah, John knew he wasn't the Messiah. He is the one preparing the way for the Messiah. So when Jesus comes to him to be, to be baptized, he's like, wait a minute, I, you know, this isn't right. You need to be baptizing me, if anything. The tables need to be turned here. But Jesus says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute, but then we see that amazing thing that happens after the baptism. God places his stamp of approval on Jesus' ministry in two really powerful ways. First, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. Why like a dove? Have you ever wondered that? Why why would the Holy Spirit appear or, or descend as a dove? We don't know that it was actually a dove itself, but at least it was like a dove, the way he descended on Jesus. And... This was probably alluding to the dove that was released by Noah after the ark came to rest back in Genesis. Remember the dove brought back an olive branch which showed that there was new life in the new world after the flood. Well, in the same way, the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus like a dove was showing that Jesus' ministry was going to bring new life and inaugurate this new kingdom of God. So that is probably the illusion that, that um, we, are, we are looking at as far as the Holy Spirit coming on him like a dove. But secondly, we see the Father spoke in this audible voice confirming that Jesus was a son of God and that he loved him and was pleased with him. He was saying, Jesus is not just a mere prophet. He's the one the prophets spoke about, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, who would save the world. It's also interesting to see that we had all three members of the Trinity present here at the baptism. We have the Father speaking with a heavenly voice. We have the Son, Jesus, getting baptized, and we have the Holy Spirit coming upon him. So it's, it's a pretty cool allusion to the Trinity that we see here in this passage as well, all the three members of the godhead were involved in this process. So back to that question, why did Jesus get baptized? What we've already established that repentance of sin and baptism are connected. So if Jesus, we knew we know he lived a sinless life, right? So why is it that he needed to be baptized? Well, the answer lies in Jesus's words to John, "Let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness." So Jesus actually saw the act of baptism as fulfilling the principles of the Old Testament scriptures by expressing his obedience to God's plan. So Jesus got baptized as an act of obedience is the first thing, even though he didn't need it himself, he was he was doing that as an act of obedience, showing that he was following God's way and God's plan. Now also, even though Jesus did not need to be re, need to repent, By getting baptized, he was identifying with his people and their need to confess their sins in preparation for being a part of the new kingdom. So just like Jesus identified with humanity by coming to live among us, to be a person, and then he also, we know later, also became like humanity in dying like we do as people and laying down his life he also was identifying with us in this act of baptism he was he was basically saying i am one of you i i i'm living my life in a way to show that i understand that i identify i get get where you are at i believe so so that next thing is jesus got baptized to identify with humanity that's, that's another reason. But I believe Jesus was also setting an example for all believers to follow. If Jesus was baptized, he who had no need to do that himself, he who had no reason to repent, how can any of us who follow Jesus, who choose to follow him, how can we fail to get baptized? We, Jesus laid, laid down that example for us to show the way, to show that all believers part of our act of obedience is to become baptized. So, so Jesus got baptized as an example for believers. He got baptized to be that example for us. One other thing that's interesting that might be a reason why Jesus got baptized is this imagery of the high priest. So back in Leviticus in the Old Testament days, when the high priest was um, about to go into service, who was Aaron, It says that Moses washed him. He had to be washed, completely cleansed with water. So just like washing was the inauguration of Aaron becoming the high priest, in Jesus getting baptized... It wasn't a way of alluding to that he is our high priest. We read in Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest. He's the one that intercedes before us before God. He's the one that makes it right between us and God. So baptism may have also been a way of showing that Jesus was being inaugurated as high priest. So there were some really good reasons why Jesus got baptized. What is the significance of water baptism though anyway? This is really important for us to understand. Baptism is, is this living picture to everyone who experiences it, whether a participant or a spectator. And there's, and there's three things that baptism signifies, at least three things. The first is it's done in water, right? And we know that water symbolizes cleansing. Just like we used water to wash the dirt and the grime of our bodies. So being baptized in water is a symbol or a picture of how Jesus has cleansed us from our sin. He's washed our sin away and made us clean on the inside, just like water cleans us on the outside. So we see that symbolism of water being, water symbolizing cleansing. And we also know that baptism, even by the very word, should be by immersion. That's significant because it shows that God has completely cleansed us of our sin. So when we go under the water, it's not just like part of us or just some of our sin being taken away. It, it symbolizes all of our sin ta- being taken away at, by that, that act that has happened when we came to Jesus. Our sin was taken away. So baptism is a symbol of that. The second thing is baptism symbolizes, symbolizes dying and raising to, do, to new life, So we see this other significant picture of baptism in Romans 6, 1 to 4, where it says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore baptized with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So... Paul was talking about being baptized into Christ's death. What did did he mean by that? What he meant was that just like we bury someone in the ground when they die, when we go under the water at baptism, it's a symbol of us dying to our old self. So it's a symbol of us dying to that selfish man, that selfish person that wants to just gratify our own desires and just, just look out for us all the time. We are dying to that. And then when we come back out of the water it's a symbol of the new life that we have in Christ. So it's it's showing that we have died just like Jesus died on the cross, we have died to our own life and then Jesus was raised again to new life. We know that from he he was we know that's the Easter story, right? Jesus is raised to new life. And in the same way, when we come up out of the water, it's showing that we have new life in Jesus. So we are identifying with Christ. We're identifying with his death and his resurrection when we get baptized. And then the, the last thing is baptism is a public confession of our faith. When we get baptized, it's letting everyone know that we've made this decision to turn our back on living a life of sin. And we decided to follow Jesus for the rest of our life. It's significant that we do it in front, of, in front of the people of church or in a public place. Sometimes it's done in a river or a lake or, or wherever, but it's done in front of believers because people can help remind us of the commitment in times where we're tempted to turn away or go down the wrong path. So basically, it's a way of making us accountable to others because when we are, get baptized, we are making a statement to the community, hey, I'm choosing to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I'm turning, to turn away, choosing to turn away from that sinful life and to follow the Lord. So it's basically a way of going public with our faith. That's why we do it in front of people and not at your home in a private ceremony in your bathtub. Okay, Because part of the significance of baptism is it's for everybody to see. It's a way of showing everyone, I'm identifying with Christ. I'm following him. I'm turning my back on people, uh, on, on, the, on sin, rather. There's a story of a pastor in Iran who, to protect his family, will be referred to as Pastor H. But this man had disappeared. His fellow believers in Iran were certain that he'd been taken by the security police, and they feared for his life. A couple of weeks later, a a historic event took place at his church in Iran. Approximately 38 men and women from a Muslim background were ready for a believer's baptism. The church was packed, as much as security would allow, with these new believers lined up from the altar down the aisle and all the way to the rear of the church. Now, Muslims believe that at baptism, a person no longer belongs to Islam but to Christianity. They have left one community and joined another. The local community says that when converts are baptized, they have left Muhammad and joined with Jesus. So at baptism, persecution of these people soars because now they have publicly identified with Jesus in a real, clear, visible way. It's not just something that's under the table. It's there for everybody to see. So baptism in Islamic countries is basically seen as a point of no return. So inside that church's baptismal pool stood a leader who had been a friend and a colleague of Pastor H for many years. And as this preacher finished his message, message, he began to prepare for baptism. But he looked surprised when he saw his wife approaching. That was unusual, and his concern grew as he saw the tears in her eyes. She, she held out his cell phone, and his heart sank when he heard the news from the caller. Pastor H is dead he relayed to the gathering. A Muslim friend of ours has just called to say that he watched his pastor's body was taken from the back of a truck and buried in an unmarked grave. He said it was obvious that the pastor had been tortured before being killed. I'm to meet with this man later and he will show me where the body is buried so that we can bring pastor home. Then he said to those people waiting to be baptized, your pastor is dead the man who loved you enough to tell you about Jesus, giving you the opportunity of eternal life has been killed because of his faith. This is the cost of following Jesus. Now I want to know, he said, addressing the new believers, are you ready to be baptized? Now that you have witnessed the cost of following Jesus, are you ready to be buried with him in baptism and raised to your new life in Christ? Not one person walked away. You know, in our country... We don't generally have to fear for our life or freedom by being, by when we publicly declare our faith, when we get baptized. But that's not the case in many parts of the world, especially in many of the Islamic parts of the world. They see baptism as this visible sign, oh, this person is not following Islam, they're following Christ, therefore they are now a target. And they, these people are often targeted, sometimes they're persecuted, raped, beaten, killed. In jail, those things happen because baptism is this visible public sign that they have chosen to follow Jesus. We know that they already made the decision to follow Him, but baptism is showing everybody. So that's the key thing that baptism is this public confession of our faith. We're going to wrap this up by, by asking who should get baptized. Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, from this passage and other places in the Bible, it's clear that anyone who has become a Christ follower, someone who has asked Jesus to come into their life and to forgive them of their sins, should be baptized. All Christ followers should be baptized if they have also and they have to also have I think one other prerequisite and that is they need to be old enough to understand what baptism is about and that's why we don't believe in baptizing babies because they can't understand what is happening they don't understand what baptism is about they can't repent because they they don't have any concept even of that yet now, if you were baptized as a baby, I'm not saying that's bad, that, that's, that's okay, that's, that's not going to in any way harm your relationship with the Lord, but I believe it's good for you to get baptized again now that you are old enough to understand what it means, because that's a way all of us should follow the Lord and what he did. I think it's okay for kids to be baptized if they're truly desiring to do so, but I believe usually they should be at least eight or nine years old before they're baptized. And for many kids, it might be better to wait until they're 10 or 11 or even a teenager so that they fully realize the significance of what they're doing. But the key is, is that we need to understand what baptism is about to be baptized, otherwise it's a meaningless exercise. So today we learned that a key component of the Jesus mission is to repent and be baptized. John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus in spreading this message, and Jesus embraced that mission by getting baptized, and then by proclaiming that message of repentance to others in his own ministry. So remember that big idea, baptism is an outward expression of an inward work. So we're gonna wrap this up by just uh, throwing a slide on the screen that says action points. The action points on this are are really simple. Uh, There's three ways that we can respond to this message. One is repent, and whether you've been baptized or not, I believe repentance is to be a regular part of our life as a Christian. It's not a one-time event, because if we had repented once and then could live a perfect, sinless life the rest of our life, then it could be a one-time event, but we know that that's not reality. We know that all of us continue, unfortunately, to sin and to fail in different ways. we're, We're obviously trying not to do that. We're trying to live... As, as good a life as we can, but we all fail, even just sometimes in our thinking sometimes or the way we react, react to people around us. So repentance should be a regular part of our life as a Christian, whether you've been baptized or not. I encourage you, always be living with that attitude of repentance. Every week, even every day, standing before God and saying, God, you know, I know I've messed up in some ways today. I blew it in this. This is this is something that I said this thing to this person. I reacted in anger here. You know, I did these things. So I repent, God. Forgive me of my sins. The other action point is obviously if you've not been baptized, get baptized. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if you are 87 years old and you've been a Christian all your life, but somehow you never got baptized. I would still encourage you to do it. It's still a way of following what Jesus did, that act of obedience and of saying, I'm, I'm going public with my faith. I want everyone to know I'm following Jesus for the rest of my days. And then finally, cheer on others who are getting baptized. So baptism is, to me, is one of the coolest things that happen in the church because we are, somebody is coming forward and they're saying, hey, I'm, I'm turning my life on that, my back on that old life, and I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm committing. I'm following Jesus for the rest of my life. And so it's, when that happens, it's like the rest of the church can view that and cheer them on and just say, yeah, we're with you. We, we're, 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 we're behind you. We want to hold you accountable to that. We want to, want to be there. We want to support you when you're, when you're down, when you're falling off, the, falling off the cart. So those are all action points that we can take. I know this is kind of a, a basic message, but it's a basic message. It's the basic truth of, of, of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what he was about. Repent and be baptized. So it's something that we want to be about as North Lake Church. And we, we will be having a, a baptism uh, coming up. So if you are interested in being baptized, uh, please talk to me. I'd, I'd love to. You basically, usually we'd have people gone through, go through a baptism class, but you just went through the class. So if you are here today, you don't have to go through a class. You now know what it's about, but I would, just, I would just want to connect with you and talk to you about it for just a couple minutes, and and then we can set that up and, and get you baptized. So it's an awesome way of going public with your faith. All right, let's pray and ask God to bless us here the rest of the day. God, we thank you so much for uh, being with us, God, for this um, message. It is just the basic truth out of the word of God of repenting and being baptized, Lord. And I know that probably... A huge percentage of the people here have already been baptized, and that's awesome, Lord. But we just pray that we will continue to live lives of repentance before you, remembering that part of the message that we need to continually repent of our sins. We need to continue to follow after you um, and just do what we committed to do when we got baptized. And Lord, we just pray for those who have not been baptized yet. I just pray, God, that you will uh, just stoke in their heart right now, just the desire to do that, and that you'll just show them that is a way they can follow you in their faith and, and a way that they can go public with their faith and just show everybody that they're serious about their faith. So God, we just uh, pray that you will, will draw people right now with your Holy Spirit. If they need to be baptized, just 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 make that click in their heart right now, God. And we just thank you uh, for the rest of this day that we have coming up, God. And we just thank you for the business meeting we have coming tonight of just reporting on church. And we just pray now you'll go with us as we go from this place. Um, just bless us as we, we go out and just spend time uh, fellowshipping with our families or with each other and give us a fantastic day. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. One, I want, want you to as you go out, one thing you can pray with us about. We are praying that God will lead us to a uh, a music leader, a consistent music leader than we have in our church. You know, right now we are rotating different people through the process, even a couple people that don't belong to the church that, that come and lead us in worship. So be praying with me. And, and even if you have a lead on somebody, let me know. We're, we're looking for someone to, to be a you know, a regular worship leader here at our church, so, and that will be a, a paid position, not a full-time position, but a partly paid position, so definitely send in my way if you know of anybody like that, all right, God bless you, have a great day, be blessed.